You are listening to Let's Talk Trio on podcasts. Keep up with the latest episodes by downloading the Podbean app or stream episodes via our social media accounts. Search for Let's Talk Trio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This episode is sponsored by Student Access. Student Access, the leader in Trio software. Student Access is an online database solution that allows TRIO programs to track their students' information, connect with students by text messages, streamline the APR, and work from anywhere, all online, with automatic updates for changes from the Department of Education. Their technical support team includes former TRIO staff and has over 50 years of combined experience working with TRIO. Make it easier to focus on your priority, the students. For more information and to request a free demo, visit their website at www.studentaccess.com or call them toll-free at 1-800-801-1232. That website again is www.studentaccess.com or 1-800-801-1232. Be sure to share your favorite episodes on your social media by tapping that share button. This is a great way to support the podcast. Now here's your host, Juan Rivas. Thank you, Amelia, for that wonderful introduction. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Trio. I am your host, Juan Rivas. In today's episode, we have the executive director of Oregon Trio, Matt Basic. Matt is in the podcast to talk about how he got involved in the state initiative to form a trio nonprofit organization at the state level. Matt is also a former trio staff member and has a educational journey and career journey to share. So coming up in just a bit, Matt Bisek. A huge thanks to our sponsors, Angelica Vialpando, Rosario Riley, Dr. Ryan Barone, Dr. Jamie Motley, Angelica Valdez, Jaded Electronics, TrioJobList.com and Student Access. Thank you all so much for your continued support of this podcast. You too can be a sponsor of the podcast. Head on over to Patreon and search for Let's Talk Trio. Choose one of four patron levels. You can support this podcast for as little as a dollar a month. A dollar a month goes a long way in supporting this podcast. If you own a business and would like to run an ad on our podcast, send us a message and we can work out the details. You can also become a supporter of the podcast with a one-time donation to our podcast PayPal account. Search for our handle at Let's Talk Trio altogether. Any amount is truly appreciated. If you would like to nominate a participant, staff, or alumni to be on the podcast, send us an email at letstalktrio at gmail.com. That email again is L-E-T-S-T-A-L-K-T-R-I-O at gmail.com. Again, of a great episode featuring Matt Bisick from the Organ Trio Association. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Five, four, three, two, one. Hi, Trio Nation. Our next guest on the Let's Talk Trio podcast began working for Trio programs in the Upward Bound and Educational Talent Search programs at Clatsop Community College in 2015 as an advisor. He served as the treasurer of the Oregon Trio Association 501c3 nonprofit from 2018 to 2021 before taking on the position of executive director in September of 2021. Currently, they serve as the Northwest 
Association of Education Opportunity Programs and Council for Opportunity Education, COE, uh, on both boards. He also serves on the board of directors for the University of St. Francis Alumni Association in Joliet, Illinois. He is a graduate of University of St. Francis with a double major in business and obtained a master's in educational uh, leadership and administration from Concordia University in Portland. Our guest is passionate about creating opportunities and removing barriers from first-generation and low-income students to pursue post-secondary education. He strives to, to grow the state trio association model to be a conduit between practitioners who work directly with students and those organizations and foundations that have resources and opportunities available to positively impact students' lives. In his free time, our guest enjoys listening to podcasts, uh, watching the NBA, and hanging with his kids. Welcome to the podcast, Matt Bicek. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me, Juan. It's wonderful to be here. First of all, it's such a huge honor to have you on here. Uh, I know we've been trying to coordinate our schedules to get you on, and uh, you're honestly the first por- person from Oregon that I got to have on the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, you initially had reached out because you are profiling all these alum and trying to get every state, and I just I love all the work you do and the, the, the way you show kind of stories and all the trio alums. So it's an honor to kind of be profiled on here and kind of represent <laughs> Oregon for the first time. Awesome. We're, we're super glad to have you. Uh, how are things in Oregon? Uh, things are awesome. Like I, I didn't grow up here initially. We, we'll probably get into that. But uh, doing this kind of work in education for underrepresented populations in a state that's insanely liberal and will just throw themselves out there has been a blessing mm-hmm. as we'll kind of get into. And it's led to <laughs> kind of the career I have now. So uh, it's a cool place to be. And this time of year, things just get so beautiful, whether it's oceans, mountains, like sand dunes, river, like they just have everything out here in Oregon. So uh, it's really going awesome. Awesome. Uh, right before the podcast, we were talking about the weather out there and you were, you were uh, expressing that there, the, some concern about the beautiful weather, the streak, it's it's beautiful, which, which is awesome, right? It is. Yeah, it can be kind of ups and downs. So where I live is like right on the coast on the ocean. So usually we're a bit more fogged in, a little cooler. Mm-hmm. You know, it's basically between 55 and 65 almost every single day of the year. So like people love to retire here that are just looking for predictable lifestyles without the hot or cold. Uh, but it's been just so beautiful. But with just global warming, sometimes that leads to fires in the later <laughs> parts does. of the year. <laughs> yeah, so we shall see what this summer looks like. But so far, the, the late spring, early summer has been off to an, a wonderful start. So that That's awesome. Uh, so the summer, as you said, is upon us. Uh, any items on your summer list that you hope to accomplish? Uh, I kind of recent. It is somewhat uh, job related, but we... The funding we got in our nonprofit, the Oregon Trio Association, a lot of it's tied to like the state legislator, which operates on these two-year oh, wow. biennium budgets. Yeah. And the funding kind of that we got was set to expire at the end of this month. So the big goal was to like, let's try to get money to keep doing this work and keep doing this stuff again. So it's, important. it's yeah. not like officially signing a bill, but we got a lot of good news as it relates to continued funding to keep doing this work. So that's definitely been the top item on the the accomplished list is kind of sustain the work we're doing out here in Oregon. Fantastic. Well, wonderful. Um, talk to us about your interests and hobbies. You, you, we had shared that uh, podcasting in the NBA, hanging out with your kids, um, but podcasting in the NBA, is that something that developed as an interest for you? Uh, was it something you always enjoyed? How did that happen for you? Uh, basketball was just kind of like the thing I obsessed about growing up. Loved mm. to play it as much as I could. I just like going to the community center playing and I liked watching it like 
I was born in 87. So around the first time I feel like I was really conscious of like uh, sports on TV was like the end of the Michael Jordan era. So oh, right when the, you're yeah. like hero is just wins <laughs> every single time and always makes the game winning shot. It's just such a way to spoil you. So I just fell in love with it. Um, I was never like that great at it, but just really loved it. And then as I like transitioned into kind of professional, you slowly have less and less free time, particularly once I transitioned being a parent and podcasts kind of became a perfect avenue to still like engage with kind of like sports and particularly the NBA. So like mm-hmm. I spend probably for every one hour of basketball I watch, I probably listen to like 40 hours of podcasts about basketball. <laughs> like it's probably a problem <laughs> at this point, but as an adult, I've just found podcasts to be such an amazing, like I just am a natural learner. I love learning and expanding my mind, uh, but I don't often have the patience to sit down and read a book and podcasts are just the best to do it while driving or chores or dishes or walking a dog. Like I just love the effect, you know, efficient nature. And you can like speed it up. Like that once I learned you could go like times and a half on the speed to I I couldn't quite go that fast when I first started. Uh-huh. I'm like a 1.5 person. Oh, wow. So like, I can just consume so much stuff so quickly. Uh and I I'm a really big fan of <laughs> of that. But it allows me to like kind of focus on my family, kids, like my job, but still make time for some of my like dorky interests or following like Marvel or Star Wars, right? Kind oh, of right on. Fandom yeah. Stuff. yeah, like I love podcasts that like I'll go watch the movie, but then I'll listen to like seven hours of people talking about it. And that community, like I love the sense of community that podcasts can kind of build and create. Um, so yeah, one of the reasons I'm super excited to be doing this. I'm just I'm a huge that is fan amazing. of the platform. Yeah. <laughs> um, and FYI, I'm also a huge Marvel fan as well. So there we just go. throwing that out there, huge Marvel fan. It's hard to find. There's becoming so many of them now. It's hard to find people that have actually kept up with it all. That's why I went to podcasts. I'm like, look, they will always watch it opening weekend. That's my oh my crew because yeah. my yeah. friends who are kind of into it like stopped around movie 20 something. And I'm like, no, 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 keep it, keep it going. Every TV show you gotta. So I appreciate that one. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I gotta ask, have you, have you watched the uh, across the spider verse? Yeah, of course. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Such a great movie. So uh, I, I I don't want this to turn it into a across the spider verse <laughs> yeah, well, suddenly an episode of <laughs> an entire Everybody should be watched. I know most, uh, I know that's not even Marvel, right? It's Sony, but most people have yeah, right, right, not right. gone into the animated right it's mostly live action like this is absolutely worth it and the the og one into the spider-verse like i'm not a huge animated person traditionally just don't quite have the time to make room for those but like they are so worth it if you have not dipped your toe in kind of the animated oh my gosh yeah dorkiness of marvel so (laughs) that's that's awesome and uh, me personally i rank uh across the spider-verse as number one uh, among uh, spider-man films because it's just such a solid story. So yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Um, so what is a personal goal that you have for yourself for 2023 that you've accomplished? Well, either a goal that you've accomplished and a goal that have you have yet to accomplish. So the first, I when I went into the end of 2022, I try to like work out and be active now. I kind of have quit playing basketball. So I'm like, I just want to stay just fit enough, but I'm really terrified of like getting hurt. So if I'm like lifting weights, I am never looking to like go have it because I just don't want to hurt myself. But I'd like try learning to like squat. I'd never done that my whole life till like into my thirties. And I was just so afraid to go heavy. So at the end of the going into this year, I was like, I'm going to try to squat like this number I had in my head. It's not even that I think it's like 275. It's not even that big of a number. Right. Uh, 
but and I had maybe gotten to like 250 ever. And then just setting that goal, I met like, that was kind of all it took because then like one day on the day of like January 1st, 2023, I was like, okay, let's like try going a little above and a little more. And I literally hit my like year long goal fitness goal on the first day of 2023. Awesome. And I was just kind of like, well, clearly I'm not challenging myself enough here, but also like, <laughs> boom, goal accomplished day one. Like, yeah. It's all downhill from here. So <laughs> that's, that was like one of my personal goals uh, I had set. And as far as, not yet accomplished. Uh, this kind of gets more in the professional realm. A lot of what I've been doing with Oregon Trail Association, I'm the only like technical full-time employee. I have a handful of like kind of contracted folks and mm-hmm. like AmeriCorps folks who have been worked with, but I was really hoping to, if we could get refunded, kind of expand and try to actually add some other staff and try to like really grow this out to like a real nonprofit organization. So uh, we're still kind of on the cusp of that, knowing that we have some future funding is kind of the first step. So we're working to branch that out. But hopefully by the end of the year, we can actually like fully expand and start having more supports available um, here for folks in our state. So that yeah. that one's yet to happen, but I'm feeling good. That's amazing. Um, so Matt, this is the part of the podcast where I have the guests rewind the clock with me a little bit because we want to talk, we want, kind of want to get to know you and and uh, your upbringing and, you know, everything that you went through. So can you talk to us about your upbringing and what was that like for you? Definitely. I grew up in Chaska, Minnesota. It is a, like a suburb of the Twin Cities, mm-hmm. uh, West suburb. It's like right on the edge of farm country slash suburbs. So half my friends lived, were like farmers that had to milk cows before schools. And the other half, their, their parents, you know, were accountants and stuff and just lived in suburbia. So it was a, uh, uh, nice like I got to have a lot of different experiences Uh, my family definitely grew up more on the low income side my dad didn't actually graduate high school he had dropped out and was working as like a welder but not like Mm -hmm. a unionized welder or anything but my mom uh was a college graduate and was like an elementary school teacher Uh, I was the oldest of three brothers and like out of all the cousins that I was just kind of always the oldest so I feel like I I was kind of a little bit of a troublemaker when I was younger until mm. basically uh, school started to actually challenge me. Uh-huh. I was probably once I hit like junior high um, because I just had to spend so much time in my mom's like classroom because mm-hmm. uh, she would like be doing lesson plans or great in schoolwork. Uh, so I just had to spend so much time in a school environment that I just kind of feel like through osmosis, always be able to stay ahead enough or school felt pretty easy in like elementary school. And those sort of things. And she was a wonderful influence. Um, but I always just carried being like the oldest sibling and the oldest cousin, just a lot of sense of like responsibility. And like my dad, I love him to like death, but just wasn't great with money and being mm-hmm. like low income and somebody have a father who's not good with money. Like I just always had this dread of like things weren't always like going to work out. So I just carried a lot of like responsibility. I want to say growing up, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I I just had, I I had parents who like tried their best, like didn't particularly do anything wrong. I had room yeah. for improvements, um, but I uh, had a, one thing I would say was really wonderful. I had grandparents that were like pretty young, so I got to spend like a ton of time with my grandparents growing up, and they were like awesome. really huge influences for me. And my great grandmother even like raised me up until I was ten. Wow. Um, 
So she just was like kind of my go-to babysitter and I spent a lot of time with them. So it was really fun being able to hang around kind of my elders and like these, you know, parents of my parents and great grandparents and spend a lot of time with them. They let me win at games all the I'm like a very competitive person by nature. Really? If you're familiar with like the strength finders at all, like competitions yeah. number one. And uh they my great grandma would just let me win at every single game ever, always. And it just instilled this like almost arrogance that like my parents wish had never been put there because I would just beat them at games forever. And they were yeah. just like, what was she doing with you that you would become so good at all these <laughs> mundane games? Yeah. Um, but yeah. And I, I stayed in Minnesota until graduating high school um, and just had a pleasant kind of basic white cis male, uh, like Midwest upbringing. Um, yeah. I would say that, I'll start there because I'm sure that I know that this kind of Absolutely. progresses through some Absolutely. of the timeline here. So, so was so as you were talking about school, you said that there were some rebellious stages in your life. But was school something that you naturally were curious about, or you gravitated toward, or was it just something that was just like uh, kind of in the background for you? It was because I, I am somebody who like does pretty good in structure, and just the idea that like you can get stars and like kudos for just completing tasks like that just aligned with my like type a brain so i was somebody who mm -hmm. like you know i recognize that schooling system is not necessarily an ideal structure for all learning types but i was lucky to be one of those that it was like built for so i found it was like fun to go there and just being around like a lot of my peers particularly once i got into like the k-8 through structure um the school i went to uh it was it was right down the block from us it was actually like a private catholic franciscan school um that was just like a small class it was like a class of 25 students mm -hmm. and they were just all of, all of us were just best friends and it was mostly the same group of people i only got to go there because we were like low income enough that they had like some scholarships um but it wasn't like a super like high-end private school by any means it was just kind of the catholic school in this community and i just love the small environment of it uh and it was just hanging out with your best friends every single day uh and we got like two recesses every day right like there was just oh, i don't yeah. know i thought i had the coolest <laughs> upbringing ever because it was just recess with your friends every day and it was just like right down the block from my house so i i just love that kind of little community that was around my home growing up yeah any subjects that interested you or that really stood out to you i've always been like a math person just something about the, the logic of it it can't uh, actually this kind of relates to when my mom had to kill time grading papers back mm -hmm. then she also the only computer she had in a classroom like the old max and they had these like word muncher floppy disks you could put oh, in. Oh, yeah, so, I remember word munchers. Yes. So one day I'm in preschool, like preschool, kindergarten. And one uh -huh. day she let my mom came over and was like, oh, honey, like, how did you get on like the division parts of this game? Like, what are you doing? And then she's watching me and she's just like, wait, are you doing like division and multiplication? And I was just like, I don't know. I'm just playing this game. <laughs> <laughs> like I accidentally learned just adding, subtracting, skip counting, <laughs> multiplication, division. Like I was flirting with algebra as like preschool, kindergarten, just because of this dumb game on this Mac. <laughs> and so math was unbelievably easy yeah. for me. By the time I got to first and second, like that I was ready amazing. to do multiplication tables. So by the time yeah. we were hitting that, I mean, back then it's not very like trauma informed, but we do like around the world with like math index cards. And I would just be like, Again, competition. I would just be eviscerating the room, and like, yeah, I felt so validated in math. <laughs> how would how would your family describe you when you were young? 
Uh, man, that's a good question. But I think just like competitive, competitive, just like sports. Like if there was, we had kind of an unfinished basement, so I just loved throwing on like Mighty Ducks, and I would grab a hockey puck and a tennis ball and just whack it against the wall for a half, an hour and a half <laughs> watching a movie or Angels in the Outfield. It's like a tennis ball and just chuck it against the wall. So just like enjoyed sports. Um. I met, you know, I think I was, it's hard to remember when you're that young, but just like a sense of responsibility. Yeah. My brothers were four and seven years younger than me. Mm -hmm. And the middle one was like a huge jerk to the youngest one. So I always <laughs> oh, no. felt the need to like stand up for them and like look out yeah. for them. And they, school didn't come as easy to them. Uh, and, you know, like just even just in the, the context of our family and some of the drama we would occasionally go through just kind of felt like, I, I like the validation. I had all these grandparents involved and they just love when I would get A's or go to things. Or So I was just like a very punctual person. Like I was very good at, you know, pleasing other people, which maybe isn't always the healthiest thing as you go into adulthood. <laughs> but like I was everybody's favorite grandkid for that reason. Cause just wasn't a troublemaker, liked, you know, you know, following the rules and, and being responsible. So I think that's yeah. probably how I would be described. Do you have a favorite memory of you and your family? When I was younger, my father's parents got like this little cabin uh, and like every 4th of July, it was just like a tradition that we would go and kind of just me and all cousins There were probably like 11 of us and just like hanging out and jumping in a lake and you know, just because it was like an annual tradition, I think that one stands out more to me. Um, but yeah, just like 4th of July up at the lake, just Minnesota summer, like it's a blast during the day and it's hot. And then you just have to run away when the mosquitoes come in. Um, yeah. Then you're just oh like playing gosh. games at night with your cousins. So yeah, that was, and again, I was just the oldest of them all. So everybody kind of looked up to me and you felt like I was had to look out for everyone and like make sure the little ones were like included in stuff. So it was always just like a fun environment for me to be in. Right on. Uh, outside of school, did you have a lot of interest? And you kind of alluded to that um, interest in sports, uh, athletics, things like that. Yeah, uh, that was like peak ESPN, like Sports Center time. Oh too, wow! So I yeah, loved just like I loved to have my <laughs> grand, my one grandparents would always like Christmas gift my parents cable. So I was felt so lucky to have like cable because I could just watch ESPN. I would watch everything, like darts, bowling. Like you put it on TV and like, I'm watching anything competition. You do it. I'm watching it. We mm -hmm. did. My mom was like somehow an early adopter of like video games. Even I just never wow, remember really? not having video games around. So like, I just had a Nintendo in my room as soon as I was like, even old enough to remember. And she just wanted to play like Dr. Mario. So, but mm -hmm. I, I did always enjoy playing video games. And like, I want to say even like the Pokemon stuff came out right when I, when I was like 10, just like, <laughs> just a sucker for that kind of stuff so it was fun to kind of be a part of it when it was just new systems and the technology was advancing so much and like the golden eye stages and the halo through junior high, oh my and high school it's like just <laughs> back then it was like such a fun way to like it was stuff i like to do with by myself or with my brothers and then as it advanced you could kind of play with friends so yeah. yeah and just the sport because i was so obsessed with sports the games just kept getting so good and you could like run franchises and like having to deal with like salary caps and free agent signing because I was such a like math dork. I would spend more time doing that than like playing the sport. So uh, I, yeah, I definitely spent too much of my time doing that 
the video games when I was. I, I do remember uh, when um, EA Sports uh, released uh, their NBA Live and how you could do transactions as as an owner of oh. uh, one of the uh, yeah owners, right. It was so crazy, I, and to me, like it was like, oh, max out the salary, it's cool. But you sat down and actually calculated the 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 net worth of each player. It sounds like. Yeah, I mean, you because you had to like do contract negotiations and understand oh, wow. the salary cap and like the rules around it because like you couldn't sign players if you were over the salary cap or like right, what is right, the right. Mid, what's a mid level exception? All this insane like lawyer lingo that relates to like you know collectively bargained agreements between player unions and leagues. I'm there as like yeah. a ten year old figuring <laughs> this out so I can sign Tracy McGrady. But they even let you like build draft classes so you could like wow if you had like several hours you could build a sixty player draft class of like every friend you know and like custom make wow. everyone and like build their stats and then you could draft them into the NBA live like yeah. game and like so I did all that stuff. Yeah. That is intense, Matt. You were just like really honed <laughs> into the, like I'm gonna get the full value of this game. Yeah. Yes. I very much did. That's awesome. Uh, do you remember much of middle school and what was that experience like for you? So the middle school was like the best time for me, like, because it was that small, cl- like it was such a small group of students and like a lot of us just roll the dice. All were kind of like oldest kids, at least a lot of like the male right. friends I had. So like, we were just so tight. Uh, and the middle school years, cause like this, the little middle school kind of had little sports teams. So it was one thing to like, Playing the travel team or the town team, but once it was like you and all your best friends on a basketball team or baseball team, like, or like watching the girls in your class, like play volleyball and just like the silly school dances. I I just loved that. Like, I, I like, I'm more of a small, intimate, more like introverts that likes deep relationships with a small group of people. And it was just like such a good time for me. And like, even like some of the extracurricular activities, like just joined like band and, I really don't care much for trombone, but I took up trombone because they they had like no, it's like any junior high choirs, like nine flutes, like four trumpets and three percussionists right. and that's right. it. So they were like, <laughs> they had found out my dad played the trombone for a little bit and the choir director was like, oh, they like totally manipulated me into doing it. But I like played the trombone so yeah. I could play the boring bass lines and all our, our stuff. Um, played like I played traveling sports and the sports there on the teams. They didn't really have much for like clubs or any of that kind of stuff. But I just love the experience of kind of this core group of people. And you, you're you just in the same classes with these same people. Mm-hmm. And we're all just such tight friends. And it, even in junior high, like things probably should get weird with like boys and girls or relationships. And like we didn't even realize that was like an option, most of us, because we didn't have older siblings. And it is kind of this like Catholic environment. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit more of a like goody two shoe. So like, I remember it was like end of seventh grade. One of the boys asked one of the girls to like go out. And we're all just staring at each other like, what is going on? I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> but eighth grade got a little weirder in that sense. But uh, yeah, we were just a bunch of like goody two shoe, like just friends who just liked hanging out and enjoyed that kind of time of our lives. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, as, as you were uh, doing that transition, because it sounds like, you really enjoyed the extracurricular activities that you joined in middle school. Um, as your time for high school approached, do you remember like what you felt, what you were thinking as you were about to transition to high school? Yeah. So um, most of it, I wasn't, I'd always, once you kind of had started getting like letter grades, I did like well enough. I was one of those kids who just didn't feel like I had to try super hard. Like I tried enough. I wasn't like bare minimum, um, but I feel like I was able to just kind of 
show up, do the work and do pretty well in grades. Uh, so I wasn't like nervous about high school in that sense, but the biggest nerves was just that we're at the school where like a lot of these students that you've spent eight years with aren't all going to the same high school. Like there mm. are private schools in a couple different cities. There's a couple different public high schools and we're all kind of from a wide enough stretch where we're all potentially about to get like split up. And some of my like mm -hmm. very closest friends, you know, we weren't, couple of them weren't sure what they were going to do. And there was like this new private, like Catholic high school that had opened up too. And they offered some like scholarships out to like the top boy and girl in each graduating class that year from all the like different junior highs. And like one of my closest friends, like both boy and girl who were going to be going to the public high school with me got those scholarships. And we're now going to be going to an entirely different high school. So I remember there was just oh, wow. like, quite a bit of fear and uncertainty uh and in the town i grew up in the graduating classes were 650 students Whoa. so i'm coming from like a class of 25 for eight years and i'm moving into just a school that's going to have 2500 kids in it so i was nervous but i really just enjoyed that year enjoyed that summer there was like a theme park that was kind oh. of it's called valley fair it's like a low end value six flags and i remember <laughs> you could get like a student pass like 70 bucks and you could just go every day because wow. none of us were quite working yet so it was just like the best summer hanging yeah. out with these friends and felt like you know we knew that this was potentially going to be something that was going to be hard to replicate moving forward Absolutely. Uh, yeah i think that was where it, it was like total elation and joy to kind of be living in this moment but also a little fear of what was coming yeah um so in, in that moment of you knowing this transition to high school was coming, um, what do you remember most about that transition, like as it was happening? Um, I think during the transition period, it was just like, I, for some reason when I was at that age, I, I, I saw so many adults who were just so desperately trying to live like kids again. Really? And I just had this mentality where I was like, I am not going to be one of these high schoolers because I see a bunch of high schoolers who are trying to just pretend to be adults. I'm like, mm. it seems like mm -hmm. most people just want to act like kids most of their life, but they can't. They got too much responsibilities. And then your peak ages of like being able to just be a young person, people are just trying to work and like be adults. So I was like convinced, like, you know what? Like, I'm going to not work if I can get away like as little as possible. And I just want to like enjoy being a kid because you only get to do this once. So I feel like wow. that was the mindset I was carrying into like that transition to high school. Wow. Did any of your extracurriculars carry over with you? None. So None? Really? <laughs> I went to the big high school and it was it, the, the worst part, honestly, was that of my like core group of probably like six really close friends, mm -hmm. two of them went to the public high school I went to. Now the one was like a three sport, awesome athlete, but he was like cross country wrestling and track. Um, and those just like weren't sports I was interested in. Like I was, I didn't play football and just don't have an aggressive enough nature, but I was like, I love basketball. I like baseball. Um, so, but going into high school, my one friend was just so, you know, busy in sports and I didn't want to do those sports. And that other friend just started working at like dominoes. It was just working wow. all the time. So I was like, okay, whatever. Like, hopefully I can like play sports. But um, the problem is I chose the two sports where you, they actually cut people. You got to be good enough. As much as I love basketball, I'm like, I am good. But like at a school that's 2,500 people deep, like I'm still just six feet tall. And I'm not that athletic. And I, as I mentioned, just like a, a white dude, right? Like I do my best. 
but <laughs> like I just I wasn't good enough and so I just didn't make the teams so and I just got swallowed up by the monstrosity that was the school and was so nervous and had no self-confidence and insecure the idea of like making friends I just never had to do that right like you just show up in first grade and like these are the kids in your class and you just spent eight years with them it was so easy and because I had those couple friends as crutches to go like hang out with between periods or like when I wanted to be social, mm-hmm. like it kind of prevented me from having to go make a lot of new friends. So it was a uh, hard. Yeah. So talk, talk to us about that, about your first year in high school. What was that like for you? Um, it, I just felt like, it's not like people didn't value you. Like I just, I just felt invisible. Mm, in a way mm. that's like not bad like it wasn't somebody being picked on or anything but like you're just somebody who shows up to class um yeah and uh, i don't it, it was it almost felt like going to some big university like it almost felt mm. like this fish out of water like uh i was used to sitting in like one class all day so even like jumping between classrooms and i would do class and like there was I actually had to do some homework for the first time like it felt like kind of real school and i like wanted to do a good job with it. Mm-hmm, um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I I definitely kind of reverted kind of into a shell of myself I was like, you know what, like, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna try hard in school. And just I kind of leaned into being a kid in the ways that were like, I'm just gonna play video games and hang out with my younger brother. I felt really blessed at that time, honestly, that I had younger brothers. Mm-hmm. I still got to do like childish stuff, like going yeah. to the pool a bunch. And like, like, I kind of just stayed more of a younger kid. And like, I was mature enough in terms of responsibility but just kind of was so horrified by anything to do with high school. Or the idea of like going to a party or talking to a, a girl or mm-hmm. someone mm-hmm. I liked or trying to go make a new friend or ask somebody to like hang out with you. It just terrified me so much. And I just felt like I wasn't ready for it. And at the same time, like my parents were just kind of like busy and chaotic. Mm-hmm. And I felt like didn't, I just didn't have anybody to go and talk to. So I definitely just kind of turned inward and kind of, uh, yeah, just, shelled up during those experiences and like was very much what was me like I could have just joined clubs or tried sports that didn't require like any of the sports mm-hmm. any other sport I could have at least been on the team and been at practices but I kind of just you know reverted inward and was like I'm just gonna do good enough in school and just kind of pass my time and just kind of get get through this slog it's only four years <laughs> it's only four years yeah um but you shared a little bit about your high school experience Anything in high school that you really liked or things that were not your priority? I feel like everything that related to being social was not a priority, right? Oh, I was okay. like, I'm just yeah. gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna like go to school. I had a um interesting high school. They had these block schedules where. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I know high schools have all kinds of re- weird structures, but ours are basically, you only had four classes a day, an hour and a half a piece. Mm-hmm. So in one quarter was essentially a semester worth of classwork time. So in one half of a year was essentially a whole year of schoolwork. So there was stuff like math. I liked math. You could complete an entire year of math in half a year and then just take another year of math. So like the subject you really cared about, you could get like really advanced in. Mm-hmm. So I love that like I could get into calculus by the time I was a junior. And then it turns out that that, that class was hard. And I'm yeah. not actually built for like really, really high end math. <laughs> so I kind of like, but I like was excited to do that. They had like the one benefit of being in a massive school is they had a lot of like cool extracurricular courses. So like I got into like accounting classes and loved the oh, teacher. Wow. 
And by the, I ended up accounting three wasn't really even a class, but I like independent studied it and like could be like wow. a TA for the teacher. And like, so, um, yeah, I kind of appreciate that's where I kind of shifted my love of like math into more of the business side of things. I love taking mm-hmm. all the business courses and like, it's more like applied mathematics to this like competitive environment of the, you know, of Absolutely. businesses and that sort of thing. So I, I did appreciate that. Um, I think that kind of became my priority. It was kind of building for the next thing. I kind of had already punted. Even my by sophomore year, I was like, well, high school isn't working out for me. Let's start building towards hopefully college, I guess. Like nice. I hopefully can do that. Which is a wonderful segue to the next question. For many high school students, college become part of that conversation, right? For a lot of high school students, they th- start thinking about college. Uh, they contemplate whether or not they want to attend or some of them even have an extensive list of colleges did you and your family think about college for you and what that might look like? I honestly hadn't. It was something I, I presumed I could kind of go. I was so lucky my mom went and was a teacher because she just knew like, oh, you kind of need to sign up for like these SATs. And I was like, or, it, it was ACT there. Mm-hmm. And I was just mm-hmm. like, what are you talking about? Like, I have no idea. I wasn't like one of these AP everything kids. I did some like dual enrollment courses, but I was not like the super high end where like, getting force fed all the high-end college stuff so my mom was just like Mm -hmm. no you should like you're you're gonna go to college like based on what you say you want to do and you're you know you're doing well enough in school you should move on so it's always there but it was never like mapped out entirely and if it wasn't for her do it like I think back having done like trail advising stuff I'm just like man like once you really dive in and are doing that work you realize how complex it is if you're doing pre-college stuff and like how many steps there are and just how grateful I was to have a mom who had been through that you know mm-hmm. having I wasn't the first gen I wasn't just figuring this out on the go on the fly and trying to do FAFSA like I had somebody there uh, yeah. helping me do that but it's kind of started sophomore year and junior year had me do tests and do some like college visits so luckily yeah. I found one of these sites that just has one of these like college filters so I was able to really like She's like, okay, you need to like, if you're going to do the ACT, you have to send your scores somewhere. So you got to figure out where you want to go. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know. (laughs) So I did one of these like cool filter things where I was just like, I want to study finance. That was where I settled. I'm like, I know I took all these accounting courses, but like finance, I don't want to just be an accountant. I don't want to just do math or teach math. I had an uncle who did that and coached basketball. I thought he's still think he's one of the coolest guys out there. I was just kind of like, well, let's see what this finance is. So I like, filtered out just that degree and it's not that common of a degree at the time mm-hmm. uh and that kind of helped and i knew i wanted like a small school right i needed right. that small community and i kind of just threw in some other states it's like a why not like wisconsin and i chucked yeah. illinois on there just to see what happened so the filter came back with like a small group of colleges and i just kind of we made a decision like after scoping the websites out like okay here's a minnesota option and here's a backup Minnesota option and like, Hey, I'm just, there's this school in Illinois. Like, why not? Mm -hmm. Uh, And we, we did like a visit out there when I was a junior and I just like loved it. And they just rolled out the red carpet. So like, we don't get like state folks here very often. (laughs) Right. Um, So like, I felt so wined and dined doing that visit. And my mom was horrified about, about it. But yeah, I think that, that was about the, the, the breadth of kind of the prep that went into college while I was in high school. Right on. Uh, talk to us about the moment you graduated high school. Uh, what was that moment like for you? It's interesting because clearly I hated my high school experience so much <laughs> uh, and regret so much about it. 
<laughs> and I thought graduation, I was just like, this isn't that hard. Like you show up, you do the work. That was yeah. my approach. Right, so right, I could right. pretty much graduate anyone who does show up every day and turns in everything in. So I didn't think it was going to be that big a deal. And like, I didn't have, there was no grad. I didn't even graduate with honors because I was an A minus kid, which is like, that's still pretty good. Like a, a, yeah, but it's like a 3.66 on their weighted scale <laughs> and a 375 is graduating with honors. So like, I had like no special chords. I was a kid in the yearbook every year. I'm in there once. It's just your class. And then senior was twice because it's like the baby picture and then where you're oh, in the right. class. <laughs> so like, I didn't think it would mean that much, but like just having like my grandparents and family and everyone there, like it felt cool. Just be like, okay, I did like as much as I, I kind of underplayed and I didn't love my high school experience. Like you did it. This was still a step right. that is, you know, a stepping stone towards more opportunities that are out there and you did it. And like that, I remember that being a cool moment. And I never gone to a school dance. I never went to prom. Me and my buddy went to Mall of America and Ikea, our senior prom night, instead of yeah. going to prom. That was way better. I had a blast just <laughs> good, good. moving around Mall of America with my buddy instead of going to prom. So I never done a school thing. But that night they did like the the all night, like senior celebrations. So kids aren't out oh, getting nice. into trouble. Yeah, yeah. And my mom talked me to like, just do that one thing. And that mm -hmm. actually was like a total blast and like such a fun time. So I like, I feel like I ended on a really high note for that like high school experience. Well, it's just the day of graduation and that night of the senior celebration. That's awesome. Uh, can you tell me about your the college that you ultimately decided to, to attend and why did you choose why did you choose that college? So it is the University of St. Francis in Joliet, Illinois. Uh, I chose it because it was it's a uh, at the time I wasn't like I was still like pretty I grown up Catholic, raised Catholic, and I loved that Catholic experience I had in the K through eight, the small intimate environment and it was like this franciscan kind of like touch on this k-8 school so here i find this small catholic franciscan university that's in a different state it felt like an opportunity to hit the reset button and be like okay mm -hmm. try again right like high school didn't go well but i knew like this isn't who i am i feel like i'm capable of more than this this isn't how i want to define myself like this is a chance to start over nobody knows who you are right and not that i need to like reinvent myself but i can just present myself in a way that hopefully I can do it with more confidence uh, and just like be myself from day one. And this awesome. school just like, there was like 500 students who lived on campus. Uh, I think 1800 total in the whole university, uh, a fair amount like commuted in because it was close. It was like an hour from Chicago, right? It was like kind of the South suburb of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And it just felt cool to like be going on a state to be able to like take a train to downtown Chicago. Like it just felt like such an opportunity and I was excited by the idea of being off on my own uh, just because I had always felt pretty responsible. And I was just like, this is an opportunity to just be like, it is on you. You got to figure right. your stuff out. And I kind of was right. thrilled by the challenge of like, okay, like you are your own person, uh, but mostly just excited to like have a chance to try again. Um, and I, I also got offered into like the honors program. I don't think it was that Ooh, prestigious. But it offered me a little extra money. I got like decent scholarships. I got a fair amount of like Pell Grant uh, opportunity. And then being in the honors, it just made it feel, made me feel special. And I never felt special yeah. for one second in my high school. And they just, like I said, when I did that visit, they're like, oh my gosh, we have a, a VP here who went to Minnesota. And he actually graduated from the same state school in Minnesota my mom did. Mm -hmm. And they just were like, just made me feel so seen that it just felt incredible to be That's in this awesome. environment. Uh, so that was ultimately why I chose it. 
That's awesome. Uh, talk talk about the moment that you set on that you set foot on campus. Uh, what did you feel, and what some of the feelings that you took in? Man, it just felt like family from the first moments. Like people just saw me, and they'd be like, "You're the like Minnesota kid." Like they, you know, <laughs> people came up and talked to me, and like staff. And because I was in the honors program, I got to get there a few days early from the rest of the freshmen, with some of the other honors students, and do some programming. And it just helped me because I was like. I have a hard time meeting new people. It kind of gave me a core group. You know, it kind of gave me some inroads of like, okay, these are like 30 other students that you kind of know. Uh, and it just, it, it felt like a home away from home. Like I just, from the moment I got on there, I'm just like, this place feels like home, feels like a place I can be. It's just the right size for what I need to kind of like find myself and like mm -hmm. really be my best self. Did you know what degree or program you wanted to major in? I did. Right. So I like looked so hard at the finance major. So they had this mm, finance mm -hmm. degree. The funny thing is, is I was actually the only in my graduating class, it was the only finance major. Oh, so really? I, I literally had some classes. It was more like the really high level courses, but I had two classes where it was just two students. And the mm. guy who taught the class was an early tech adapter. And he loved, uh, it was all these Wacom products. It's still a company that exists. All these Bluetooth keyboards and mics and it had like a pad he could draw so he would just sit between us in the classroom facing the screen yeah and they like i just felt like i learned so much because every day was just like conversation and i built built such a good relationship because they don't have like tons of professors so like you really got to like know them and absolutely like, yeah i it was finance and then economics kind of happened because i realized like i didn't need that many extra classes like i like the economics teacher and i was just like i don't need that many extra classes so all the prereqs are the same, all the basic business prereqs are the same. Like it's just like eight more classes mm -hmm. uh, to get us do the economics thing too. So I, I kind of tacked that on after the fact. Um, it was a lot of, I liked economics because it was finance is basically taking all, all the math that accountants do. And then like, how do you make decisions? Like I didn't want to just be a number cruncher. Ah, I found yeah. I was really good at explaining complex spreadsheets or numbers in a way that like makes sense to a lay person, right? So if I yeah. have to talk to a board of directors and make a presentation, I can make numbers make sense to regular people because they always tell oh, you something. Good. You should be, you can delegate an entire strategy for an organization just based on like a balance sheet and, you know, fiscal statements and those sort of things. But like that takes some time to interpret. So I like that, but the economics was fun because it was more like sociology. It was like the why mm. people make decisions they do or like why is the cost of gas going up? So more like these... Um, yeah, I know. I found it to be a, a fun balance. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so earlier in the podcast, you said uh, you chose finance, you chose uh, this the, the world of finance because it was uh, something that drew you. You were already kind of a, a whiz at mathematics. Um, what had you settle on this major or not even the word settle? I don't like that. Um, what helped you decide like this is the major I want to be in? I just thought I liked the creative maybe some of it even dates back to some of the stuff I do in those video games right you're basically taking numbers and you got to make decisions with them and that was more mm -hmm. fun and creative I did enough accounting work in high school and in my early years in college I'm like okay this is like really important to do this stuff right but your job is just to kind of do it right there's not a lot of like decision making like there are rules and you follow them mm -hmm. and it's complex and it's involved uh, same with mathematics, like unless you're getting into like theoretical physics and stuff, like there's not a ton of creativity, like you're learning complex stuff and then applying it to real world problems or as finance, right. you know, there's 
a lot of just strategy and like gamification and some competitiveness. So it's all like the right. nerdy number stuff. I love, I love spreadsheets so much. I got so good at Excel in college, but really it was just like, I needed the like creative twinge in here. Like I need to still feel like I'm being challenged or creative or like I have an, an empty space I can fill mm-hmm. instead of just like completing tasks. And finance was just like a, because I always found the marketing people were just like, oh, I'm going to major in being creative and applying mm-hmm. it to mm-hmm. business. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, like it didn't feel as technical as like a major, even management. Like I'm studying how to manage people because I should be the boss. So I always found those just kind of, I always scoffed at those people a certain degree because I'm like, where do the real work here? Like, uh, so yeah, that finance just appealed to me because it was kind of a balance of all the aspects of business applied. It. And like most, I, I attribute myself like well, one day, if you want to be CEO or some like high end decision maker in an organization, like these are the skills you need to do that stuff. Absolutely. So it's kind of a mix of everything. Uh, and that appealed to me. Right on. Uh, how involved did you get in college? As involved as humanly possible. It oh, really? Literally the polar opposite of high school. I started multiple clubs. I was the president of multiple clubs. I eventually was like my student body president when I was a senior. Just like I just I I kind of even stopped being specifically Catholic while I was in a Catholic university, <laughs> but I still got hired in to be a peer minister, which is essentially like mm. the Catholic like you're a counselor based RA. Uh, oh, I, see. And I was like I see. the only non-Catholic like peer minister. So I was just, I, I didn't work really or do internships even in college. My, I spent more time my senior year in meetings with administrators than I did in class. Mm-hmm. So I was like in the core strategic planning committee and was just involved in, you know, student appeals. And like, I just could not get enough of this college environment and college administration. Cause it was a lot of that like strategy and decision-making. I love being in meetings all day. Mm-hmm. So like I couldn't get enough of being in clubs, being involved in that, doing event planning, uh, just being in the room with all these adults or deans or just these wonderfully smart, brilliant people that worked at the university and like being the student, they're always looking for student reps and I would just throw my name out there as much as I could. So, uh, and even academically, I was still an A minus student, but at my college, an A minus counter is a 4.0. So I don't I mean, know yeah. that my academics <laughs> habits changed per se, mm-hmm. uh, but I just did so well in the grades and everything. Like I just had the best ex- and like, I've lived on campus all four years and like every single night, if there was any event going on, right. If there was some opera singer going on in the arts and humanities, I would go to the event. There's a comedian. I would go to it. If some club had some wine, I just went to every single thing all the time. And that was right. Cause I was still honestly horrified of kind of like the like social structure outside of the school of like partying or like kind of that. It was still horrifying to me. I like had never drank at all. Mostly cause I was just not a confident like, person going into those spaces and being myself or I was just afraid I again oldest student like oldest kid of my family none of my friends were into that like I was kind of intimidated by that side of things so I just really latched on to university and just like was all into every single thing that you could possibly be involved in right on while in college what did you learn about yourself I learned that I it's fun to just challenge yourself and be an achiever and like I learned self-confidence finally. Like it took time to just be myself in spaces and not be like afraid what the reaction was going to be. That was like what I lacked in its entirety in high school. And I just found it again. uh, And it felt so amazing to just like feel like I could be myself and make new friends 
or like be a leader within an organization or just be a follower, just like go do certain, like whatever, right? Just like pursue your interests and challenge myself and get outside my box and like, don't spend your time playing video games. Just like go get involved in all this stuff. So like, like more than anything, it was just like, I literally found a self-confidence and just being myself and really uh, even my, we talk, I mentioned strength finders, like my number two item is like achiever too. And I feel like it just really cultivated that in me of just like, Hey, like you, if you work hard, you show up and do the work, like mm-hmm. it really is not a huge limit to what you can accomplish. It may take time, but uh, that I felt really seen because if I was willing to show up and do the work, like it was a small enough community that they would just keep throwing stuff at me to take on uh, and be a part of. And I just loved it all. So that was, that was definitely my, my biggest takeaway. All right. If I read your info correctly, is it accurate that you double majored? I think I technically, I don't think I did. I think the economics was a minor because my like wife, it, yeah. my wife made my wife uh, graduated <laughs> from the same school I did uh-huh. uh, same year. That's where we met. Uh, we got married like a month after. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Uh, to graduating college. Yeah. So shout out to Michelle, but she legit double majored. So if she ever listens to this, she's like, don't you, she had to bust her butt. And hers was like biology, environmental science, which are so much harder than business and all the labs. So like, I don't want to pretend like I actually double majored because I did not work hard enough <laughs> compared to my wife who actually double majored. To, to be honest, for, for both of you, it sounds like it, it, it does sound like double work. Like uh, it sounds like your wife did uh, double majoring stuff. It sounds like you did double majoring stuff. Like it sounds like crazy to me. Yeah, it but I, I just loved school and I felt lucky that I had enough aid. And when I did the peer minister thing that covered my like room and board. So like it made school like affordable enough for me. And I do feel grateful. I had some grandparents who were able to like chip in a little bit. My mom chipped mm-hmm. in a little bit. I wasn't mm-hmm. one of these low income students that got no help. Like mm-hmm. I had to take out the loans. Um, they gave me like, I just had an environment where I could fully immerse in those schools. Like mm-hmm. it breaks my heart when I see people that are just, they need to work multiple jobs and have families yeah. and have kids. Like they, they can't throw themselves into it in the same way. So like I had an incredible privilege to be able to do that. And I, I was glad I was able to make the most of it. Absolutely. For some students, they begin to think about their careers and what that might look like for them. Uh, did you happen to think about your college career about like halfway in? I started to, so I like punted on all internships. Cause I was like, look, if I'm just like the best student at this university, like, Clearly, I'll get a job. But in 28, I graduated in 2010. 20, 2008 was the like uh, recession, the housing crisis. The oh, bottom yeah, of it was about yeah. 2010. Mm-hmm. And particularly in the finance world. Oh, my like, gosh. I came out and like, yeah, I'm a great candidate for a typical college graduate. But I'm competing with a monstrously overloaded world where like I'm competing with people that have 15 years of job experience that don't have jobs. So mm-hmm. it was, mm-hmm. I tried to rely on a couple like alumni connections, but uh, jobs were so hard to come by that were like cool jobs. Like, you know, somebody are like good. Jo- so I actually yeah. couldn't find a job for like six months after wow. I graduated. Um, yeah. So in hindsight, yeah, the people that did the internships could transition right into it. That probably would have been better for my career, but I don't really regret. Like, I think what I learned by approaching college the way I did has benefited to me so much. So even though I didn't start as high of a peg, I feel like the speed, like the momentum I had from that experience has carried me and been able to be successful even though, but I I honestly had spent very little. 
I had a cool opportunity to maybe work with like the, um, there are these like big federal reserve banks. There's one in Chicago, like down. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So they had these cool like data analyst jobs, but right around the time I graduated, it was this brand new position. They were hiring 24 of them. But by the time I was interviewing, 23 were filled. And it was like a five month process. Cause like, it would be like, you were, you, you have an interview in two weeks, you'd interview. And then two weeks later, you get feedback that said, you're at the next round of interviews. And there were four oh, wow. rounds of interviews. So it spent over four months of my life waiting to hopefully get a cool job at the Federal Reserve Bank downtown. And then I just didn't get picked and it was the last job, right? Mm. Like I was down to like a final two and they just took the other person. And then they're like, sorry, we ran out of these. And oh. I had to like start over. So I was kind of yeah. holding out too, because it sounded like such a cool job. Yeah. I wasn't putting a lot of, I did not diversify my efforts there. So uh, that, but I honestly, I was just so into my college experience. I didn't focus too much on what the career looked like. I was just hoping it worked work out for itself. Absolutely. Hey there. We'll be right back after a message from our sponsor. Are you seeking guidance to enhance your TRIO project's effectiveness and success? Look no further. Nosotros Education Center, NEC, is here to empower your TRIO project with expert consulting services. NEC's mission is to promote the effectiveness and impact of TRIO programs. Since 2003, NEC has specialized in providing professional development and in-service staff trainings, allowable cost services, for TRIO projects across the country. The team at NEC, with over 60 years of combined TRIO experience, offers customized workshops and seminars for project staff, compliance assessments, external evaluations, working on and submitting APRs, database customization and training, developments of policies and procedures manuals, and project implementation or reorganization services. Additionally, NEC has secured over $774 million in federal funding with a 92% success rate through their live and on-demand proposal workshops, assistance with data collection and review, detailed technical reviews, and comprehensive proposal development services. Join the hundreds of colleges, agencies, and TRIO projects across the country who benefited from NEC's expertise. Nosotros Education Center, your partner in TRIO's project success. Visit their website at nosotrosedu.org. Again, that's nosotrosedu.org. And now, back to the podcast. Uh, now, you also obtained your master's degree. Is, also, is that correct? Yes. When did you decide to pursue this degree? Because for a lot of students, it, it either becomes... Post graduation, then they start thinking about masters. Uh, for you, was it during your undergrad years? Was it later? Uh, it was later. Um, I actually pursued my masters because I wanted to get a job in Trio. The oh, you wow. want to be a Trio okay. advisor at the pre college programs at Classic Community College here in Astoria. Uh, the minimum requirement was, I mean, the preferred requirement was a master's degree, and I had a friend who did the Trio stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and that was why I pursued it. So initially, I had taken a few classes kind of in pursuit of like an MBA. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. I was just like, the classes were, it was literally the same textbook that I just did in like the four or 500 level classes. And I was like, you know what, let me just take it. I've heard from people I trust to like, just take a break. 
Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you can get a master's, but it's going to be a better experience if you wait and have real work experience under your belt. So um, I didn't do it right away. I actually went back several years later because I was like, you know what? I want to work in Trio. Yeah. And we get to talk about that here in just a moment. So talk to us about the moment you graduated from college. What was that moment like for you? That was just the best because I was like eight hours away from where I grew up. And then my grandpa, again, kind of these grandparents that have been privileged enough to have my life. All four of them were still alive and kicking. And I, they just really never really been able to come out and see me. Like mm-hmm. I just kind of disappeared. They used to see me all the time. And they're like, you know, they kind of had heard things, but it's different to see it. So just graduates, like, you know, as the number, like, each school in Illinois awards a Lincoln Laureate. You get a medal with like Abraham Lincoln on it. Oh, and really? to the state right. capital. Ooh. So it's not just based on like grades. It's like a lot of stuff. So I was like selected as like the Lincoln Laureate. So high school graduation, no extra garb. This I had like nine different cords from all the honor society. <laughs> oh, wow. Medal with Abe Lincoln on it. Like I just yeah. had everything. I got to be on the stage throughout the whole graduation and like wow. do the commencement yeah. uh, stuff as one of the, so like, and for my family who hadn't kind of been able to see me a while, to be able to see that, to have like the the U, the president of the university, I got to have like weekly meetings with him my senior year as like the the president to have him like come up and just say such kind things to my grandparents was just such a cool That's moment because awesome. I feel like I just so disappeared and not that they like weren't proud of me in high school, mm-hmm. but I quit. They loved coming to my sports and I quit playing sports and I just quit. I kind of just was a nice kid, and then to like suddenly become this and just to see how much pride they had in this and kind of validate like why did you go so far to like go to school and then be like wow i see why this was the perfect place for you um and it was just such a cool moment like that place meant so much to me it was my home for four years i mm-hmm. i went back to minnesota my summer between freshman and sophomore year but the next two summers i just stayed on campus and lived in the dorms during the summer and like got jobs in chicago uh like commuting downtown so like it was just my home and it was like scary to be graduating. But like I said, I was also like getting married in a month. So it was kind of like, wow. So on to yeah, the next just, phase, right? Wow. Like it would be, would have been horrifying if not for that, but we were both graduating, about to get married and like start this new life. So it was just amazing. Like dub such a amazing experience uh, for me. And I just love that my college so much. What careers were you considering or exploring after graduation? Yeah, the problem with a finance degree is finance is a super generic word, and you could kind of do a lot of things. <laughs> right. Like, if you're an right. accountant, you go be an accountant. If you're a teacher, you're a teacher, right? Like, and right. I was like, shoot, you can kind of do a lot of things. And because of, like, where we're at with the recession, it was so limited. So, like, I was looking at jobs in, like, banks, and, like, I didn't really want to do insurance. It's hard because what I want to do is more, like, analyst stuff, right? There's kind of this mm-hmm. data analyst. Mm-hmm. I want to be a financial analyst and not just, like, work in a bank. But those jobs, they wanted experience. Like, you don't know how to do that from, like, your time in school. You know, like, the terms. Right. And, like, I thought I could prove, like, well, clearly I can learn well enough. Like, look at my transcript. But, like, um, yeah, it was kind of hard pursuing stuff. Uh, eventually, I settled into this kind of, like, this leadership development program with a, a regional bank where they kind of like, you got to be a teller for a bit, then a personal banker, then customer service, then a loan mm-hmm. officer. And the idea is they would like place you. But the hope is they're kind of like expediting you into some more leadership positions. So it wow. felt like kind of special. So that was my first job eventually was um, working in kind of banking and doing all those background tasks. And I eventually kind of started working more like behind the scenes at like the corporate 
uh, headquarters and more like operations instead of mm-hmm. like at a at a branch or those sort of things. So that that's where all my finance uh, world kind of led me to eventually. All right. How did you find out about Trio? Um, so I hate, I didn't love that job because it was just like, there were three rich white dudes that owned a bank and like, it, there was, it was missionless. I didn't feel okay. purpose in the work yeah. I was doing. So I only, I only did that job for like less than two years and it quits and had some time off. And then me and my wife, we moved out to Oregon kind of on a whim Had literally no family within 2000 miles. Wow. I'd never been to Astoria. We just moved here. And I told what was the draw? I was, I'm curious. What was the draw to Oregon? Uh, when I quit my job, she'd quit her job. And we were voluntarily retired for a little bit. And we had found this program called Woofing, mm-hmm. Worldwide Opportunities for Organic Farming. Uh, and basically, you make a trade-off. You find someone and go, they will feed you and give you a place to stay. And you kind of work for free. And mm-hmm. It's a way to kind of travel mm-hmm. and see the world. And we found a place in Southern Oregon and just like hung out there for like a whole summer Mm-hmm. Uh, between mm-hmm. jobs and was just like man this place is beautiful super cool we like pacific northwest so we kind of were living out of her parents house for a little bit mm-hmm. uh, figuring out what we were going to do through like the fall and into the the winter we're like you know what let's just move to oregon why not so we picked a few kind of small towns we like more of the small town vibe and then the first place we could find a rental on Craigslist that allowed a big dog. We just got a puppy. That was going to be a big, great Pyrenees. Yeah. Yeah. Like we want a, a little house that's walkable to downtown, like a cool, like enough going on, but a small town that mm-hmm. allows big dogs. And right. the first place we found, we just packed up a moving van and drove across the country. And wow. we still are renting that place to this day. Wow. Astoria, Oregon. So it just showed up. And the, but when I got here, I promised I wasn't going to work in a bank again or insurance. It was close enough. But the problem is I moved, I'm like, I could just take an office job. I'm good at office jobs, but I mm-hmm. moved to a town that has no office jobs. It's like tourism and fishing and logging. Oh, okay. So yeah, interesting. It was a, a bit of a struggle. First, did some odd and end jobs. Worked for this amazing family that was like a manufacturer's rep, but it's just a basic office job. Mm-hmm. The view is amazing. It's out over the Columbia River, like looking out towards wow. the ocean. There were there was like a whale swimming out in front of us in the Whoa. river one day. Yeah. Like it was an amazing family. Uh, amazing job but just not a lot of aspirations like career-wise and I didn't same kind of mission-driven stuff but one of my best friends I met shout out to Jen Rasmussen she was a talent search advisor at the time mm-hmm. just loved her job that was the coolest thing ever and I would talk to her about it and be like god you just get to like change kids lives every day that sounds like the coolest thing ever how mm-hmm. do I get a job there she's like well there's not always openings that come up but You'd be more competitive if like, she's like, I don't have a master's. You can get it without it. But if you got one, that would make it more competitive because you've never worked in education. So that's when I enrolled in like this totally online one-year accelerated master's program at Concordia University. Wow. Just in the hopes I could eventually work in trios. But I heard about it from her and just her experiences, which is like, I want to do that. I think I want to go work with kids and change their lives. So I'm going to go get a master's. And luckily, as soon as, uh, uh, I got the masters, the like a halftime, no benefit job opened up. And it was like, am I really going to do this? And not, and my daughter had just been born. I like, yeah, she wow. got yeah, my yeah. first, my oldest daughter, Evelyn was born. Uh, I had like five months left in my master's program. And then I looked to switch jobs and just like, was like, you know what? Just go with my gut, roll the dice. I'm just going to mm-hmm. take this halftime, no benefit, upper bound job. Uh, mm-hmm. and just see what happens in this world of trio. Cause I think this is my place. Yeah. That that is amazing. So this is as we were talking about. This is 
uh, also the time you were also pursuing in the in the same time a master's degree. Um, can you talk a little to it? Can you talk to us a little bit about that graduate experience and what was that like for you? It was totally online, never set foot on campus. The university actually is like totally went under. It doesn't even exist anymore, but my degree still counts. All uh, right. Yeah. I didn't realize like two months into the program, I, already had, I didn't even get to walk because I didn't realize you had to sign up for it like two months into the program. So it was Whoa. weird. And I kind of was able to do it a lot in like lunch times and like in between times at my day job, sitting in an office, kind of doing boring office work. So like my yeah. partner, like never basically saw me do homework. Like I could have just not told her and a master's degree would have showed up one day. So I <laughs> love the experience. I found like, I like technology. I thrive in there. I love the structure. It was like one class at a time, really intense for six weeks, then on to the next one with like a cohort. So I really love the experience, but I did miss out on like being on campus and the camaraderie. Like it was different than that. It was very much just educational with a purpose in mind. Right. Um, I was like a super overachiever, like master's students for sure. <laughs> Um, but I, I really enjoyed that. And I think that like virtual experience actually prepared me really well for like just what careers look like today and how much stuff is done electronically and like navigating like all the spaces you need to. And like that, that really pre prepared me well to kind of move into the more modern era of education. Absolutely. So you, you really went from this shift of corporate world right and pivoted right into public service. Um, and we got to hear a little bit about what caused that pivot, but can you expand a little bit about uh, what continued to inspire you to continue pursuing this uh, venue for you? Yeah, I just needed, even if I kind of liked the job or there was good opportunities for promotion or making great money, right? I was like, I've been promoted a bunch and was work. I was working at the corporate office and like corporate finance in this bank. And like, I could have just stayed there and made probably great money, but it was just like, how on earth am I supposed to work? Because I still have like, I'm 35. I still have like 30 years of working left. Like when I was in my mm -hmm. early 20s, mid 20s, I was like, how am I going to work for 40 years and I'm not motivated to show up every day? Like if you don't have a mission that is like motivating me to show up every day and making me excited to show up every day, like what am I doing here? And like right. the thought of like working with students and helping change lives is just like, just made it so easy to walk away from just these great jobs that help pay the bills, great people, like, I helped develop certain skills, but I just was not like th just out of my mind thrilled to go to work every day. Like I was once I started working in trio. So um, yeah, I think it was just this mission based mantra of like, you might not make as much, but it's so going to be worth it. That's awesome. So can you talk to us about your work in education? What have you enjoyed and what were some challenges? I think the, I start with what I enjoyed. It's just, it feels great to like change lives every day and motivate them. And it keeps you young and active and like, absolutely. Like it's just such a thrilling experience. If you have the mindset for it, you're, you're skilled with it. You have the patience for it. Like it's just so rewarding. Even with the, like, there's a lot of heartbreak that comes with the two or students that don't quite make it or tough circumstances fall on them. But like literally it just takes like one conversation can like, literally change the trajectory of people's life. Like there are people in all of our own journeys. Like I have those people, I don't even remember their names, but I can picture their face of like that person who just had one conversation with me when I was in high school that opened my mind to what else is possible. Like that's all I get to do all day. So even if you don't always think that you change somebody's life, like there are just knowing the potential impact you can make uh, was so enjoyable. Mm -hmm. But what comes with that, the challenges is that 
you need to bring your best self because all it takes is like one rumpy day, one lazy interaction, one distracted conversation with the students and they are totally turned off from you. And like, mm. just knowing that you need to be present and give your best to every single student is so immensely draining emotionally and physically uh, that that really uh, was something I hadn't quite considered in working directly with students before I got into it. Can you talk to us a little bit about, so you serve currently as the executive director for Oregon's Trio Association. How did that happen for you? Can you talk to us about what that is and what you do? Yeah, I'm going to do this as distinctly as possible. because Yeah, go for it. I yeah. love doing the trio work. I eventually was able to move full time. It was awesome. Better support my family. Once I started going to like regional associations, like once I saw the community of trio outside the singular job I had, I was so mm -hmm. siloed. And just serving my students, working with my boss and my peers, we're just doing that work. And then I went to my first like conference and I was just like, what is this Kool-Aid and where do I get some? Like there's so <laughs> much energy. I'm like, look at the hundreds of other people that literally do what I do. I yeah, thought I was yeah. like the only one. Because when I was pre-college, I didn't get to spend a lot of time with my peers who were just in different schools. Right. Uh, and it was just like such an incredible experience. So I loved it so much. And same thing as my college. I'm like, how do I get involved? So I... Uh, the treasurer was stepping out of the role in our state association. It was all volunteer-led, the Oregon Trail Association, just volunteers from all the different trail programs in Oregon. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, mm -hmm. I have like accounting background, a finance background. Like I literally worked in banks. Like I could be a treasurer. Like totally. I've been a treasurer for other nonprofits, like Absolutely. on a volunteer basis. I could do this. Right. And everyone, normally the treasurer is the job nobody wants to do. And they were like, really? <laughs> Sucker? Like, here you go. Well, <laughs> That got me involved. And then we just started like really firing on all cylinders. And then we got this opportunity, the state of Oregon, as a response to actually the George Floyd incident, mm. uh, our governor was like, we want to invest in underrepresented populations through educational equity. And somebody within her office knew, they're like, let's find some community-based organizations to give money to. They picked five community-based organizations and our nonprofit Oregon Trail Association was one of those. And they said, we wow. want to give you a million dollars over the, the two year biennium. We're used to having like a $40,000 a year state right. budget. That's enough to like have our board meet twice and then do like a state conference and a student events. Right. right? Like right, we're right. not used to, and all of a sudden it was like a million dollars. What on earth are we going to do with that? So yeah. they're wow. like, well, Matt, you're the treasurer. How are we going to spend this? And like, <laughs> let's come up with ideas. So the whole rest of the board had like three or four ideas what to do with the money. And mm -hmm. I had 36 and they're like, okay. Uh, and one of my ideas is like, you should hire someone to make all this stuff their full-time job. Because the thing, our response is always like, when we do this voluntarily, we love the work we do in state associations or regions, but it's not your job. Right. Like you give as much as you can, but you, you got a family, you got a real job to do. You have students of your own to look out after. Like we should hire someone that this is their full-time job. Yeah. And like, okay, yeah. are you going to do it? And I was like, you tell me I can write my own job <laughs> out of thin air? Absolutely. This is all I, this is, this is amazing. I, this is everything I wanted. It's, I get to kind of be a CEO of my own small company. It was everything I, all the skill sets I've been building towards because you yeah. need to run. I don't have an HR department. I don't have a finance department. I don't have like a business office. Like I have to do every single thing, but like I kind of been like, I feel like training myself up to kind of do these different aspects. And I wow. know my trio stuff and I built relationships, uh, being involved in the board and kind of understand the logistics of that. And, you know, Robert's rules of order, all that stuff. So, yeah. uh, it kind of led to just creating a job out of thin air with these state wow. funds. And the job is basically kind of what I spoke to is 
everyone's so siloed running their program, running a trio mm -hmm. program mm -hmm. is enough work, but we're always told like, well, you should just talk to your like legislative reps all the time or go out in your community and get donations and gift cards or partner with the local businesses or foundations. And you say that to all these directors and they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, cool. Thanks. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. I got APR to do. I need to hire my whole new staff again. Like right. I don't have time to do any of that. Right. And I could be like, that's what we do. We are the connective thread that finds additional resources, opportunities, and connects it to our programs. Because I, even though we're essentially a brand new startup in the job I was creating, I can go into any office and go, hey, we have 47 TRIO programs spread in every corner of our state that serve over 10,000 low-income first-gen students. Would you like to help them? Right? I can go to the Portland Trailblazers. We brought them up. Hey, wow. do you want to help these students? And they go, yeah. yeah. Like, do you guys want to get on our free ticket list? Yes, I do. That is so amazing. Free tickets I could donate to students who lived in the Portland metro area so they could go to a yeah. game that they normally could never afford or just a million different ways. Grants wow. to provide free laptops to students who can't really afford their own technology. That is amazing. A big part. I know we said a half a million bucks a year. That's what we have to spend. I don't make anywhere close to that. Like most of the money we get, we, we kind of created these different initiatives. So the main one was like, yeah, we're going to hire someone, but we kind of had these three initial branches mm -hmm. at first. The first was like grow trio programs. Cause what we found is we think these are the best college access programs out there. But like, what about those community colleges that don't know they exist or high schools that could use an upper bound or a town search, but like they don't have an institution close by. How do we get programs in those high schools? Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you're only like your institution is motivated to keep its own trio grant. Who's doing the work to expand trio programs to people who don't know that? Right. That's now what I get to do. So That's luckily awesome. I started right during the upper bound competition and I just invested a ton of money, time and effort in providing as much technical assistance, training, working with community partners. That is awesome. So we only had 13 continuing programs that were rewriting. We submitted a total of 60 applications. Wow. And we ended up getting nine brand new programs. So wow. just in one year, wow, we basically had a, you know, a return. We serve a thousand new students, nine new trio grants. That's $2.5 million annually that's coming into Oregon. That wasn't before as a result of this investment. So that makes yeah. me look great going to our politicians and be like, you invested in us. We've literally already like had an entire return on investment that is just in perpetuity. Right. And it's only probably going to improve and get better if we keep doing this work. So that's like our main mission is to, we think Trio is awesome. Let's do as many as possible, but also like support the programs that exist. So my job Absolutely. is to be like a support person. Like I know every single director, if they ever have a question, I don't necessarily have to have the answer, but I build relationships with all the amazing COE people or my NAOP, my regional people, or just resources I find. I can connect them and get them kind of the right answers they need or pay money out of our funds to provide additional professional development or go down and do some training with staff to do some onboarding with new staff. Or if there's a new director, I will like schedule a Zoom call and kind of onboard them in the larger like trio structure and make them feel like they're a part of this Oregon trio family. So That's just awesome. being like the soup, just being like, really building a community and making you feel connected. And then we were able to spend, a lot of the job is just spending down all the state money. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we invested in sending low-income students abroad. So we Whoa. sent 11 high school students to Cape Town, South Africa last summer. This summer, we had amazing. 18 students going to Morocco, Spain, Ireland. That's amazing. All of it free. Tuition's free. Flights are free. We even paid nice. for passports. We sent a bunch of college students to like the Amazon and just wow. all these amazing, everything just totally paid for out of the state funds. So that was a cool initiative. And then we also created 
a um, scholarship fund that we call the last mile scholarship. So anybody that works in McNair SSS, you have those students who like, they're, they're so close. They're one term away, one class away from graduating, but they've run out of Pell Grant eligibility or they mm -hmm. can't borrow any more loans. They just mm -hmm. run out of money. They have medical bills, vehicle expenses, just life happens and they are about to just drop out and not finish because of just money where I wanted to make a pool of funds that was able to create like almost no requirements whatsoever other than within 45 credits of graduating. That's like pretty much the only thing and an approval from your TRIO program. And we just said, look, are you close to funding and just in dire circumstances, apply for the scholarship. We see you. Here's a bunch of money. Like don't quit yet. Go finish your degree. Wow. Um, that's amazing. So far we've awarded 69 students, like $230,000 over the last two years. Wow. And so far, 68 of those 69 have either graduated or currently still enrolled on track to graduate. And these are Amazing. all students that were like, maybe pulling the plug. Uh, so that yeah. has been probably the most rewarding aspect of what we've done. It's just these people that just nothing has ever gone their way to finally have some good luck happen and be able to like finish and go and transform their lives. So Amazing. Yeah, that's like a taste of um, <laughs> kind of what it is. I it's, it's a lot of stuff, right? I also have to like, be the accountant and like do budgets and file oh, taxes right, for an right. OTA and like <laughs> plan our professional development events and our student events right. and all kinds of stuff. But it's amazing. Just it's such a creative space. And we're the first state ever to kind of like have a paid person yeah. doing this kind of stuff. So it's just a new frontier in the world of TRIO. That's amazing. So I, I think that for a lot of TRIO programs, uh, it can be very easy to uh, rely on on the on the self, right? To to say, you know what? It's my program. I need to run it the way I think it needs to be run. But I also think that many trio programs uh, that start or have been here for a while don't realize that there are a number of resources to help them uh, elevate their game. Right? Uh, there are state and regional organizations are treasure trove of of resources. Uh, in what ways can a state organization like Trio Oregon help new or experienced trio programs? And you've kind of given us the answer already, but and what other ways can they help? Yeah, it's just you are cultivating a really active, supportive group where it's just, you're a family. I know we're all kind of competing in grants, but like when we had grant writing time, our group share all their grants. We, you know, we like facilitate spaces where like you can have cohorts where you read everybody's grant to get ideas and support them. And it's just like a family environment because we care more about the overarching mission of TRIO of serving these students, providing these opportunities. It's not so much about like job security. Right. Uh, and it helps because when you've been doing this for a while, it's really easy to just like rinse and repeat or like oh, you yeah. think you know it yeah, all. Yeah. Uh, and it's nice to be challenged or to be engaged with these communities because it can, it, even as a director, like you can feel kind of isolated sometimes because nobody in your institutions knows what the heck trio is. And like, like you're constantly right. kind of yeah. <laughs> off on your own and nobody understands you and like, you're dealing with all kind of BS or like, you just want to pay your staff more, but yeah. you can't because of like HR equity policies. And you're like, God, this is killing me. And like having those spaces and other people to talk to that have similar experiences. And also like, especially for new programs to immediately be plugged in and like connected with a couple mentors who like, you know, I just have relationships with every single director. So like I can pair you with the people who are like most closely aligned and not even experienced. Like sometimes I will pair someone who just started nine months ago because it's like, well, they know what it's like to have just started, right? And they've mm -hmm. been really awesome and engaged. And they, like, even though they still are not even a year in, like, they would be a good resource because you right. two can kind of figure it out together, right? Like, 
it it helps so much in longevity because the programs I see struggle the most are the ones that have turnover or have long vacancies. Oh my gosh, like, yeah. Finding ways to make you like I loved the job when I was doing the tree trio advising, but like you could see why it would get stale and like engaging with regions and states like this. It just keeps it fresh and exciting. And then when you go to these conferences or events, you're just surrounded by your family and friends. It's not like a work conference. Like it's such yeah. a cool environment. And, you know, having a really well-organized state organization just creates such a good resource. Or like this year when the IPRs came out, like we were able to immediately just have like emergency calls where like all 36 directors were on a call just sitting there hashing it out together, just figuring it out on the fly. That's amazing. Like yeah. In in unison and it, as, as a group, right? Be able to just connect with one another. So um, just providing support because you just don't want to feel isolated in doing this work because it can feel like that sometimes because we're our own federal grant within a nonprofit or an institution or a service district, right? Like, so, yeah. Um, yeah. That, which is a wonderful segue to the next question is, why is it so easy for a TRIO program to feel alone or isolated in a sea of resources? Yeah, I because just running the grants is hard. And like, especially in a modern, if you're one of those that struggles in recruiting, like you're just, the job is the students, particularly if you're at the advising level and not at like a director or admin. So like any moment you're not with students often feels like, you know, maybe it's like wasted or shouldn't I be talking with students? And at times it can feel isolated. Like you're doing really important True. work, but you're focused on your students, their needs, your program, your objectives. Right. Uh, and right. it's really easy to get blinders on and not realize the other opportunities are out there. And I, you kind of understand why, because it always feels like more work than mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. But that's mm -hmm. why if you can plug into good regional and state opportunities, it, it can kind of take some of that work off and provide opportunities. But you do have to like make time to engage in those. And that, that that's can true. still be hard to do that. Absolutely. Thinking ahead, what is your goal and vision for Trio Oregon? I think this is potentially like the next frontier in trio. Like we've been around for 50 years mm -hmm. on the federal level. I don't, mm -hmm. you know, they may chip away at it here and there in rough years. Hopefully that doesn't happen this year with like the budget crunch and stuff. But like we are pretty established. We're not going anywhere. COE is like a monstrosity of incredible advocacy. They do such a good job at the federal level. And I think Absolutely. they even realize it. It's like they've been around for 40 years, right? Like, We've got the federal thing down and now it's like, where else can we branch into? And the, the states contribute literally nothing to any of these programs. They just benefit from it. So right. if you don't want it, you, you need to do it in a way that is carefully crafted because you don't want the federal government being like, well, let's just block grant these. This is what we've kind of wanted to do sometimes for a while. Mm. Let the states deal with it. Like you, so you don't want to provide duplicate services but how mm -hmm. can we be additive? How is it that a state right. can be additive and provide more opportunities and more resources to our students in a way that's worth their investment? And like, what is the kind of work we can do? So my goal and vision is that I think this is going to be here for a while and might be the next frontier where in a perfect world, like when we go to policy seminar, COE is unbelievable, but really they're just trying to like organize each state so they can do really good advocacy and you know, take that central voice of what they bring in their vision and their amazing leadership, and they communicate that locally in these grassroots ways. If every state could have an equivalent of an executive director, mm -hmm. like that would be unbelievable to have that kind of like 
organization and grassroots connections and not only at the federal level, but like starting meeting with your state policymakers and like influence policy, not even if it's necessarily getting more money for TRIO or TRIO programs, but like be on important committees, be in the room that's writing policy that impact our students Mm -hmm. and actually try to like, like at the end of the day, what are you doing to try to make your organization irrelevant? Right. If, if the work you're doing isn't trying to eradicate the issue that we exist to solve, like what is it you're ultimately doing? So don't get so caught up in self-preservation of the work of Oregon Trail Association or even Trail as a whole. Like how can we just make more equitable education opportunities, period? Uh, so I hope that the vision and goal of Oregon Trail Associations that we're just, this is not going anywhere soon. We are like a legitimate nonprofit organization that functions within this trio model that, you know, we're not kind of adjacent, you know, I don't get any federal trio funds. We're kind of separate from it, but right. through community support, through state support, through the advocacy and supports of your, you know, quote unquote membership, the programs within your state. Uh, Cause you can be like, no, nothing against COE, but like they don't have time to have conversations with every single program director. That's right, right, thousands right. of grants. That's they just can't, yeah. cannot do it, but I can, cause Oregon's not that big, right? So like it just provides a level of support uh, that is a niche I think is greatly needed elsewhere. Um, and in just even in advocating for TRIO programs, like when we go to policy seminar, like instead of forcing your new president over year to organize that whole thing and have that chaos, <laughs> like it's me right. and my role. They always talk about like really cultivate and build relationships with these people, with their staffers, with people in state too, not just like the once year policy seminar. It's so easy to do that when my full time job is doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And, and you and you I can to... rally, and it's really easy to rally all the troops, right? Because mm-hmm, they'll check mm-hmm. my emails. I'm really right. picky about how often and when I send emails, but they will check my email. So if I need them to send letters of support, I can take even COEs letter and like even put a more customized touch on it right like it's really easy to respond as a whole state and just like pounce on an issue or on you know funding uh requests for appropriations like it's it's such a useful tool that's like why all the state associations even exist in the first place like it started with the regions and they're like well this is helpful but really we need people in each state so the coe and the regions push for the states i think this is the ultimate goal like you know, we can talk about, is it somewhat going to make maybe the regional association somewhat irrelevant? Like not necessarily, but I think the ultimate goal for true advocacy is like really strong state leadership because you can take care of your own business. You don't need COE to hold your hand. They help provide guidance. They provide kind of that structure, that singular voice that is truly essential, but like we can do a lot of the busy work so they don't have to. Absolutely. And Matt, since you already kind of answered the question that I was about to ask, I'm going to skip over to this next question. What do you like most about your role as the executive director? I love that I get to do everything. I don't know, like I talked about, it's it's kind of that financial job and creativity. Like I have to do tax filing and accounting. I have to do HR stuff. I have to write policies and procedures and put out minutes for our board meetings. I have to do event planning. I have to do scholarship stuff. I have to build our website and do technology. Like you just kind of have to do everything, which is exciting and challenging to me every single day, but it's all in this overarching mission of trio, which is like, so it just feels so good to show up to work every day. And because I like had my roots in Oregon and it's all these people around me and my bosses now, right? Like my board, Mm -hmm. they're Mm -hmm. the ones who like elevated me into treasure and elevated me into this role. And like, they're so 
supportive and encouraging and I just love them all to death. Like it is honestly like such an honor to show up and like grind away every single day to do this work and support them and be really creative and innovative and like how we go about doing that. Yeah. Um, So I'm just so excited to see how it just keeps evolving. Um, Yeah. Uh, With the bigger regional associations and with the Council for Opportunity and Education, what roles and responsibilities do you have there? So with the regional association at NAP, there's a non-voting role. That's the tech and communications chair. I'm pretty tech savvy. So I kind of had, and it's nice to have the connection on the region uh, in part because there's some duplication and providing support that happens at the state and regional level. And I want to make sure that like, there's still kind of value. Like there's a good relationship between our region and our states because our region doesn't have a full-time person, right? Like I can do way more than our region can as a state association. Right. Uh, just because, just for that fact, right? Like we literally have more money and we have like staff, which is something they don't have. But I enjoy being on in like the tech and communication side just to like support them, develop the website, help with, co- I've also been the conference chair for our like annual conference last year and I'm doing it again this year. So just building out that community, supporting people. I'm hoping to kind of, step a little back more and try to cultivate like developing new leaders. Like I've had the chance to step into that role and kind of be involved in being, I just love doing the work. I really, I'm one of these people, like I don't need any of the credit. Most people Mm -hmm. don't say that they love getting credit. I do like when people compliment me, but really I just want you to allow me to do the work. That's what uh, excites me most. And in this role, it's just one of those where like, it's a lot of kind of busy work on the tech side of things and like developing, you know, the websites or restructuring stuff or just being in the room and being on that board and be able to go to like those retreats. It's just fun to be in the room and do the work. Uh, And we've worked hard to like do a monthly professional development series. And we kind of started our own podcast called what's your why. And it's designed to just kind of profile some of the really more well-known faces you'll see often at the front of the room and just kind Mm -hmm. of demystify them to be like, guess what? They're just you. They're just somebody that works at a trio program (laughs) that's been doing this long enough to where they now have to sit at the front of the room and give speeches, but like they're just a normal person. So we like to kind of profile them to kind of make them more approachable at conferences. That's Um, awesome. Yeah. So that's my work at the region. Then COE, they've been awesome. They brought me in just as like a, I'm not like an official board member. I'm a special committee member on state initiatives because like it's a passion project of theirs and Jen Rudolph, who's just absolutely amazing. She's the VP of I think state initiatives. I think that's, and that may not be her official title, but like they're really seriously looking into like how to develop states and grow their leadership and do work and like statewide mm-hmm. policy. Mm-hmm. So when this popped up kind of out of the blue, they're like, well, we might as well bring that in here because obviously they're kind of on the forefront of this. So they've been, Jen's been amazing. And has been amazing to kind of help cultivate uh, some of the strategy and direction and ideas and supports around some of the work I do. Uh, and then just to be a part of that committee has been helpful. And then I'm also on the international education committee because a big part of our funding was going towards creating these international education opportunities. They brought mm-hmm. me in because I just kind of have had some experience in there and uh, there's some similarities in kind of the, how we're trying to create opportunities and some of the work so we trying to do and um, advertising that to the masses. Right. So uh, those have been the two roles I've been involved in on the, the COE's uh, board. Awesome. If a TRIO program in Oregon or even a state association outside of Oregon wanted to contact you, how would they do that? Yeah. So it's sucks to spell it all out, but it's simple enough. It's just executive director 
at oregontrio.org. I am one of these insane people that have like no unread emails and like a tiny inbox. So like you email me, I will see it. I will get back to you (laughs) quickly. If you go to our website, it's just oregontrio.org. Pretty much my email's on there a few times and we do have a contact page. Same thing, like that is not going to some vacant email nobody checks. Like you email me, I will respond. So pretty much any contact you hit up on that website, uh, I will find you. Um, but I hopefully, and even the phone numbers on there should just go to my like business cell phone that I carry with me pretty much 24 seven. So uh, I would welcome anybody to reach out. I love talking with other states or folks about just the opportunities or potential, or like what have we learned and like, you know, how should they go about maybe expanding their state association or engaging with their state Absolutely. policy folks, right? Like definitely, you know, COE is an awesome resource too, but I'm I'm always more than willing to connect. And I would love to see this grow too beyond just Oregon. That's awesome. Thinking ahead, what do you see yourself doing five to 10 years from now? Oh man. I, <laughs> I guess one thing is there's not really anywhere this job could go. This is kind of, there's no super executive director. So like, I would love it if I was still doing this. If I'm not doing this, I hope I'm working for another nonprofit, maybe in a really cool role that is, you know, an upgrade on this, right? Some fancy job where I just get to impact students' lives because I love just this, the work we do helping students uh, and doing work in nonprofit. Like really I, I work in nonprofit management. I don't really work in trio world anymore. It's just that our entire world of nonprofit, like our entire nonprofit right. is slapped on top of the trio model. So I kind of dabble in both, but really my role right. is more in nonprofit management. And it is just fun, exciting. The funding is even more horrifying than trio though, because it's like a year by year, every two year thing <laughs> instead of every right, five right, right. years. Don't love that as much, but um, <laughs> yeah, I would love to still be doing this role. Right on. Are there any mentors, teachers, or advisors you would like to rec- recognize on this podcast? Oh, man. Uh Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> I think so. I guess I'm going to shout out to the first is when I was in college, his name is Frank Y. Rostick. He was my finance professor. And I actually remember I really didn't like him as a professor the first time I had him because he didn't <laughs> seem like he was taking things very seriously. Okay. He was having so much fun. Yeah, uh, I see. Do stuff. He was making up his own terms for like um, amortization. It's something you do with loans, but he would just call it hammering. And he would just be like, hammer, you got a <laughs> hammer. And he would draw hammers on like the screen with his Wacom <laughs> pad. Yeah. He was just silly. And I kind of was like annoyed by it because I'm like, I'm serious. I'm trying to like be a serious. And yeah. then you realize like the stuff he was teaching you is what you actually need to thrive in the environment beyond mm-hmm. just what's mm-hmm. in the book. And I just, I, he was the guy, you know, I mean, classes like two, three people and he's just sitting between you. So I got so much intimate time with him and uh, really made a fun experience. And I think it's part of I, the reason he loved Excel and not just like using it, but making it look really pretty. So I got so good at Excel because he demanded it. He would grade you. He'd give you an F if you just gave him an ugly spreadsheet, even if all the answers are right. Like he needed it to look good in the eye. Wow. And that has been like maybe the most valuable thing. It's just like not just using spreadsheets, but how do you make it readable to like yeah. somebody who hates yeah, spreadsheets? Yeah. So shout out to Frank. And then the other one is Philip Dirks. He's probably like, he's like the OG Oregon Trio Association. He's the reason our Whoa. state association was able to be successful and exist for as long as it was. He was the director out of Portland State University, Upper Bound and Town Search. And I just saw him as just like, he just, 
had ambitions and wanted to get creative and just saw no limits to what things could be. And he kind of came out, he was retiring right around the time we got the state funding. And I was kind of holding out hope to just replace him and be like the director of Portland state for the pre-colleges and just be mm-hmm, the next mm-hmm. Philip. And then this came about and he was one of the ones along with Jeff Gardner, who's a director out of MESD in Oregon and is the current NAP president. The two of them are good buds. And they were just like, Matt, you should, we should just, make you the executive director. Like I love those two of those guys, but Philip really was just like, is just, he is the face of Oregon trio. He was one of the trio trainers on kind of the priority circuit. Like he's just such a highly respected, such an amazing person. We try to bring him back to as many conferences, even as we can to have him present on stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, We just love him here. So he, yeah, he really an inspirational guy in terms of like thinking bigger than just like working in it under a trio grant. Right on. What is something that you would like to share with true professionals, like some advice or even some uh, words of encouragement? I think it's important build community within trio. So like most of the job is your students is your program, but if you really want to love your job and if you really want to get good at it, like make efforts to do the professional development, even if they're like priority trainings, like I know a lot of people like to go to those and not, I mean, priorities are different. They track your attendance, but they go to the other professional development conference at your state or region. And then they just like go on tourist mode and that kind of stuff, which is like when you've been going for 10 years and you have all your friends and you go with your other trio friends, like I, whatever you can, you're an adult, you can do what you want, but like go to the sessions, meet people, put yourself out there. Don't just sit with your staff, sit with new people because like, you're going to get the most out of experience, the bigger your web community gets. And it helps your students. It helps your program. It helps you get more resources. When you have something that's scary or maybe is troublesome with your program, you have people to reach out to that will take time out of their day to like help you and make sure you're squared away and in compliance and those sort of things. And it just makes the job more fun. And then when you have those opportunities to go to these professional development opportunities, it just feels like, family and really trio like make trio can be just such an amazing familial space it can be yeah that just holds you and makes you not want to leave even if there are some better money opportunities so like embrace that uh, even if you are an introvert like i very much am but like just show up put yourself out there because we all are doing this work because we absolutely love it like there we're just there's so many amazing people in the world of trio, like take some time to just meet as many as you can. Absolutely. What advice do you have for trio students at the pre-college or college level? Oh, I think I'm trying to do, I have all these like basically memorized speeches from when I used to talk to them all the time. So I'm trying (laughs) to unearth the one that makes the most sense. Um, Ultimately you need to like, understand what your strengths are and like maximize those. I spent a lot of time thinking I had to like hone all my weaknesses or I would do jobs and just would ignore the fact that like my core strengths and it like helps doing stuff like strength finders or integrate, right? There's a million things out there. Like, but like identify what are my real strengths? Not that you can't be more diversified than that, but if you find work, if you find careers, if you find schooling, if you find things that really embrace those parts of you, you're going to be good at it. You're going to love it. You're going to enjoy it. So like, and know that you can be a leader regardless of what those strengths are. Sometimes only certain kinds of people tend to be in front of the room and they are 
the outgoing, the like positive, you know, th- there's just a, a model of the person you can picture at the front of the room and not everybody has that in them, but like understand every sh- kind of strength that's out there has equal value and we need a balance of all those. And if you don't step up as someone who maybe is not you know, the typical model of who you see speaking in like front of a conference or something like you are so desperately needed because the, the odds are there's probably like a room full of those people and they are clueless to all the, the things that they are like missing. So as you're going through school, as you're looking for jobs, just like really understand yourself and what your strengths are and just like work to maximize those and do those to the best that you can. Like don't compare yourself to other people, know what you bring to the table and just do that to the best of your abilities. Absolutely. What is one word you would use to describe yourself? See, I've already said it's probably competitive, it's but competitive. I think adaptable. I'm adaptable. Second. Adaptable. Okay. Yes. I like that one. Uh, what is something that you're currently watching, reading, or listening to? I am always watching all the Marvel stuff. Honestly, more though, so then yes. I can listen to all the podcasts. I follow the Ringerverse. It's part of like the Ringer wow. website. I'm going to have to add this to my list. Podcast. I started listening to it years and years ago when it was under um, like Grantland. It was called uh, Binge Mode was the initial podcast. And then mm-hmm. one of the posts kind of went off elsewhere. But I just, I love that sense of community around like a shared experience. Some One of the things that was hard in today's age and age, there's so much content everywhere. Like I'd be in a group of 30 high school students and you're like, what's the song of the summer? What's everyone's favorite TV show? And there'd be 30 answers every time. You're like, gosh, <laughs> none of you, not that you don't have anything in common, but like back when I was growing up, there just was like, you know, there weren't that many options out there. So right. it's no, I mean, to build a connection. It was like radio, so, whatever radio was playing that was popular. Exactly. So <laughs> I really appreciate podcasts because it allows you to find your like niche community and absolutely feel like you can listen to all that stuff. So yeah, the bringer. Shout out to the Ringerverse. It's just a fun crew that just talks. They take it really serious, deep dive, but also yeah. like they have not too seriously. They have a good time doing it. So I, I love that. I'm gonna have to look it up. I'm gonna have to look it up. Uh, Matt, uh, we know. I know we've been talking for almost two hours. I just want to say thank you so much for your time today. It's been a true pleasure to speak with you about Trio, your journey, uh, getting to know you, uh, and we definitely need to have you on again. Well, thank you, Juan. I pleasure being on here and i really appreciate what you do with this podcast and profiling professionals and alumni from all over the nation in this incredible trio world thank you so much uh so we have a tradition on the let's talk trio podcast where we have the guests sign off uh do you care to do the honors absolutely uh this is matt Bisick, and i'm the executive director of the oregon trio association we are on the cutting edge people of the future of trio it's state associations we're out there we're coming let's do this together i'm excited to help anybody out there who wants to learn more um and it's been a pleasure to be here today trio works and it always will Are you a participant, alum, or staff of a TRIO program? Do you want your program highlighted? You or your program could be featured in an upcoming episode of Let's Talk TRIO. Get a hold of us by going to our Facebook page or Instagram and send us a direct message. Search for Let's Talk TRIO. We want to get your story to the public. That was our guest, Matt Bisick, from the TRIO Oregon Association. 
Thank you, Matt, for being on the podcast and for sharing your trio journey. Remember, if you would like to be on the Let's Talk Trio podcast or know a staff, advocate, participant, or alumni, send us an email at letstalktrio at gmail.com. That email again is L-E-T-S-T-A-L-K-T-R-I-O at gmail.com. A huge thanks to our sponsors, Angelica Vialpando, Dr. Jamie Motley, Dr. Ryan Barone, Angelica Valdez, Rosario Riley, Felicia Rivera, TrioJobList.com, Jaded Electronics, Nosotros Education Center, and Student Access. Thank you all so much for your continued support of this podcast. You too can be a sponsor of Let's Talk Trio podcast in one of three ways. Become a monthly patron on Patreon. Our base level starts at a dollar a month. Become a corporate sponsor. Email us for sponsorship packages. Become a supporter with a one-time donation to the podcast PayPal account. Our handle is at Let's Talk Trio. One more time, that handle is at Let's Talk Trio. I'd like to take a moment to thank our honorary members of Let's Talk Trio podcast, Roderick Chambers, Tony Ho, Scott Kendall, and Susan Cramp. The Let's Talk Trio podcast team is John Russell, audio engineer, music producer and composer, and post-production editor. Amelia Castañeda, script supervisor, marketing manager, social media manager, and producer. Juan Rivas, executive producer and host. This episode was recorded Monday, June 12th, 2023. As a reminder, folks, always use your right to vote. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you on the next episode.